Welcome to Good Heavens, a podcast about how the heavens declare the glory of God. Shortly after eating the magical cake, much to her surprise, Alice started to become elongated. Curiouser and curiouser, cried Alice. She was so much surprised that for the moment she quite forgot how to speak good English. Now, I am opening out like the largest telescope that ever was. Goodbye, feet. For when she looked down at her feet, they seemed to be almost out of sight. They were getting so far off. Alice later marvels. Dear, dear, how queer everything is today. She wondered aloud. Who in the world am I? Ah, that's the great puzzle. So she tried consoling herself by recounting things she knew in her world. Let me see. Four times five is, is twelve, and four times six is thirteen, and four times seven is... Oh dear, I shall never get to twenty at that rate. It was enough to leave poor Alice in a puddle of tears. Mathematics and time are truly marvels. If, however, one is a naturalist or a materialist, there is no final explanation for why numbers fit so curiously into our explanations of the universe. From where did the numbers come? Why do they work so well? Do numbers occupy some abstract realm in or outside the universe? As cosmologist Alexander Vilenkin wonders, quote, If mind is the medium of mathematics... Does that mean that mind must predate the universe? End quote. But many brilliant philosophers, physicists, mathematicians, cosmologists, and astrophysicists have imagined that with their special arrangement of numbers they use in their theories about the universe, that they can do away with God himself. How is that even possible, though? The scientists would have to have a working knowledge and a working definition of God in order to know that their mathematics have done away with him. Many scientists have nevertheless turned the efficacious language of mathematics that afford us descriptions about the universe into something akin to a god with unique causal powers capable of bringing a universe into existence ex nihilo. In other words, mathematics has certainly not done away with God by any means. Only the god, lowercase g, of the scientists' imaginations. Numbers are merely abstract objects, not finally entities with the power to create universes. Numbers are a descriptive language, but they do not have any power or physical properties to them. The number 7 doesn't weigh anything, for example. The number 3 has neither height nor depth. You can't measure what the volume of number 1 is. If you wish to start a fire or make a combustion engine roar to life, Neither odd nor even numbers will do anything to help you. 
The universe-making causal prowess of numbers is purely in the imaginative constructs of the scientists who propose such ideas. But this is not to finally disparage mathematics or scientists per se. Merely it is to point out how we as human beings in general are prone to idolatry. We all suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Here on part two of our most curiouser and curiouser episode about a grin without a cat, Wayne and I informally chat about the nature of mathematics and how we think everything from simple math to the most curiouser arrangement of stars and galaxies all point to the ancient of days, the light of the world, the one who is both fully God and fully man, the son of God, the sin-bearing servant, the man of sorrows who died and rose again from the dead, who turns our mourning into dancing to the glory of God, the Lord Jesus Christ. In cosmology, Wayne, and this is what C.S. Lewis was arguing uh, decades ago in his essay, The Empty Universe. So Lewis kind of outlines, and he has this um, in in his uh, 16th century Oxford history of the English language, 16th century excluding drama. had to read that for my master's thesis. I'm one of only five people in the modern world that has read that book. No, just kidding. It's, it's a hard book. <laughs> it's not the top Lewis book that everybody reads. But in it, he talks about how we went from a, 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 a congenial universe that was created for us, and not for us, for God's glory, but we fit into it. It was nice. It was cozy. And then mathematics started to happen, right? Uh, around the time of Johannes Kepler and uh, Tycho Brahe and Galileo. And it's not saying that math is bad. Lewis is not arguing that mathematics is bad. He's saying what be, really, and I'm paraphrasing Lewis, that math sort of became an idol, and, and the more people could start discovering things and explaining things mathematically, what started to happen? You get to the late 17th, 1700s, uh, late 18th century, you get to this guy named Pierre-Simon Laplace, who's a French mathematician, and he's created this mathematical cosmos where he thinks he can predict everything because he has the numbers. And Napoleon is said to have asked him, where is, this, uh, where is God in your hypothesis? And uh, Laplace says, I have no need of that hypothesis. And so the number, numbers in math, because we could explain the universe, started to, and this this takes us into the Enlightenment, um, math took on, an, I mean, the human heart is an idol factory. So we made an idol out of math and thought, but because we can explain everything mathematically, we don't need God as an explanation for the universe anymore. That's where modern modern cosmology is today. And the problem, I think, and I think if Charles Dodgson was alive today, he would say he would probably echo this: that modern cosmology is the mathematics that set up the modern models of the universe. Wayne are so you, I'm like, unless you're a, a PhD in mathematics and physics, there are like five people on the planet that can understand all of these models when you look at the papers and how mathematical they are. It's not that math is bad; we're not saying that. It, it's that the complicated arrangement of mathematics. The, the cosmos of mathematics, if you want to, in the hands of the specialists, 
is, is almost impossible to follow unless you're a specialist. But what are the specialists telling us at the popular level? Well, they do the math, and guess what? Because they can do the math, they can explain the universe, allegedly, without God. So math became a god. It became kind of connected to the idea from science that um, we we can we can only trust what we can see and discover and experiment with. Right, right. But that's this is uh, looking at things from a narrow point of view. That and science has its limits. You can't figure out everything using science no and 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 there's uh you know the mathematics and the logic and the science or observation doesn't get you all the way to understanding no (laughs) it never does no 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 it's it's never a complete understanding uh kurt godell he's the guy that came up with his several uh, last early 20th century uh godell's theorem where and, and I'm I'm botching this, so forgive me, our, our philosophically minded friends. And I need to go back and, and look at it again. But but basically, it's it's uh, mathematics is not a complete explanation for everything. That his thesis was you can't use math to prove math. That 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 there's an incomplete aspect to mathematics. It can't finally be the end all be all, the ground of all of our knowledge, the ground of all of our knowing. You can't use right. math to prove math. Just like you can't use science to prove that science is the only way that we can know truth, um, you can't. You so it's it, it's uh, it, Kurt Goodell's theorem, and I'd have to go back and actually read. You know, maybe I need to do that. But uh, um, but basically, the idea is that math is not the. It's not sufficient to explain itself. Bottom line, uh, you can't. Uh, where, so so the idea of where did math come from can't be explained by math, right? That's right. the that's the uh, it's useful it's wonderful, but we can't um, we can't uh, um, you can't so so Goodell's theorem basically in a nutshell you can't uh, the, 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 as you said science has limits and max uh, mathematics mathematical logic has its limits um, and and these are uh, this was 1931 the same <laughs> same year Einstein and Chaplin met how about that. Um, and you can't, you can't, mathematical logic has its limits. It can't be the final basis for everything that we know. Um, so whether it's Bayesian probability or two plus two equals four or a analytic geometry or, you know, modern cosmological mathematical models, it's incomplete. You can't say, well, let's see, the math proves it. Well, if the math, math proved it, here's the, here's the, here's what I'm kind of getting at. If math solved all the mysteries about the universe, Wayne, we would have one model of the cosmos, one mathematical model, but we have so many different theories of gravity, so many different theories of inflation, so many different theories of, of uh, expansion rate of the universe, um, the, the uh, energy density of the universe, the, the distance of the universe, um, the way we measure things. If, if the math could settle everything, um, we would have a complete knowledge of the cosmos, but, but we don't. We have uh, several competing models where people are playing with the math, um, you know. Stephen yes, Hawking. and you can pick out all sorts of things in astronomy and do this. You know, so, right. for example, one of the things they always say is uh, evidence for the Big Bang is the uh, dark night sky or, or Olbers paradox. But I've I've read multiple explanations of that. 
<laughs> there's multiple answers to it. Yeah. And uh, there's the the um, background radiation, the cosmic background radiation is supposed to be evidence of Big Bang, but I think there's probably multiple explana- possible explanations of that, too. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, because nothing... So we talked about this on another episode, but this is a fascinating aside. When Alan Guth in 1979-1980 posited the cosmic inflation theory, which tried to explain the uniformity of the cosmic microwave background radiation, uh, which is, which, which, well, we we knew about the cosmic microwave background radiation in, um, what was it, uh, Penzias and Wilson, what was it, 60s? When did they find the, uh, the, the Bellhorn Laboratory? When did they hear that hissing? I, 50, I'm uh, sorry, I'm missing the date on that. I don't remember but, now. Yeah. But, but they discovered this. And so Alan Guth comes along. How, how can we explain the uniform, basically the uniform temperature of the cosmic microwave background radiation? How can it be so uniform? So Alan Guth in 19, um, 1980 comes up with this theory of inflation where the, the universe went through a super accelerated period uh, of, of inflation. It went from the size of a, and different theories say different things, the size of a, a, a pea to the size of a basketball or something like that in, in, a, in a faster than you can blink your eye. And um, so they, they think that uh, this solves the, the mystery of, of, um, the, of the uniformity of the temperature of the cosmic microwave background radiation because none of this allegedly was ever touching. So how can you have, you know, every, everywhere you look at the edge of the universe, all this uh, distant light is, is the same temperature? That's just bizarre. What caused this uniformity? But when astronomers and cosmologists peered into this um, cosmic microwave background radiation more um, carefully, Wayne, and we've talked about this, they ran into the uh, what they call the axis of evil because they can't explain yes. the, the, the patterns. They found additional patterns of hot, cold, hot, cold, hot, cold, hot, cold uh, that surrounded our galaxy. Yeah. <laughs> They're like, wait a minute. How did this happen? They thought it might have been a technical anomaly because on this cosmic microwave background radiation map, there's a cold spot below us, there's a hot spot above us, and then all along the axial tilt of the Milky Way, hot, cold, hot, cold, hot, cold, temperature fluctuation variations in this very distinctive pattern. What in the world is going on? So nobody's... Yeah, to me it sounds like something about... um the, the orientation of the galaxy in relation to everything else. and uh, Yes, that shouldn't be. Not not really about the universe. It's a, no. more about the galaxies and More about the galaxies. Like, That's right. So so people are freaking out because uh, this, this pattern that they found within the radiation looks like it has the imprint of a galaxy that didn't exist when this radiation existed. Our galaxy, if there's the long, slow, gradual development of the universe from the Big Bang cosmology, as they propose then we shouldn't even have the imprint of our galaxy in any way, shape, or form in the cosmic microwave background radiation. Right. But yet these, these what they call the monopole, the octopole, the quadrupole problem of hot, cold, hot, cold, hot, cold patterns looks like our Milky Way galaxy has something to do with all of that. And Well, yeah, you know, there's a direction in this background radiation that they thought wasn't there. It was, it's not totally uniform. Yeah, you're right, right, right. The patterns that the patterns they did find were eye-opening, and people are still wondering about that. Um, the point, though, so I, we got off another tangent there. 
I wanted to finish my point with a cat. And I want to go back before he disappears in the smile and we get the quote from Alice. I thought this was also particularly interesting about cosmology and, and astronomy as well. And Wayne, we've talked about this idea on many different episodes. Like for for secular cosmologists and astronomers who don't know Jesus, who don't have a, a religious uh, hand a stake in the in the game, um, the, the ultimate the question the ultimate questions: Why are we doing cosmology? Why ultimately are we doing astronomy? Why are we even looking at any of this? What's the big picture? At least in the medieval era and before that, the uh, the idea among Christian natural philosophers was to understand the glory of God. Great are the works of the Lord; they are studied by all who delight in them. But if you take God out of the picture, Wayne, what what's the what's the big point for NASA? Let's go to the moon. Let's well, go to Mars. What do you think? What 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 do you think they think? I don't think they have a a big picture um, answer, right? Well, it, there's not a. It takes away the purpose for the universe, and yeah. so what ends up being what they end up doing is trying to prove our theories about like the Big Bang theory and such, and the origin of things, and they try to relate it back to all of that. But that's that's empty, really. That's not that's not an encouragement to anybody. It's not right. satisfying, right? And. Um, are we doing this just to keep our jobs in physics and astronomy and cosmology going? Because the the problem, and this gets back to the the, the fancy math we were talking about earlier. I, again, I'm not condemning the idea that of mathematics, but when it when it is encircled among an elite group group of scientists who either don't want to or can't or or have a hard time, some do try, but but it's it's cordoned off from the rest of humanity. When a cosmologist writes a book and says, you came from nothing, here's the math to prove it, or there is no God, here's the math to prove it, I mean, what's the point? What, why are you telling me this? Do you, do you have a, a, a particular perspective? And I love this point about, and we've talked about this before, where Einstein's uh, theories of relativity, of isotropy and homogeneity. So, so what's Einstein say? There's no particular special direction, like there's no north, south, east, and west. And there's no particular special place. So if you and I were passing each other in a dark um, universe where we, we couldn't, you couldn't tell if I was moving and I couldn't tell if you were moving. I couldn't tell if I was going up or down or there was no up or down or if I was turned upside down. This is Einstein's idea of homogeneity and, and isotropy. The universe is the same everywhere in every direction. Actually, there is no special direction and there is no special place. But whenever a cosmologist or an astronomer tells me that there's no special place in the universe, Wayne, I want to ask you a question. From what place in the universe are they telling me that the universe is the same in every direction? And how can they tell me that there's no special place in the universe? Don't you have to have a special place in the universe to tell me that there is no special place in the universe? <laughs> yeah, we have to have a, nice, a very good place in order to find out about the universe. That's right. And so I think uh, with the exception of 12 people on the moon, where has 99.9999% of our discoveries about the universe occurred? In and around Earth. Earth. So I so getting back to why I think this is related to Cheshire Cat. So when Alice is walking around and she first meets the cat, she was a little nervous because he had claws and teeth, right? And then he grinned a little wider. Come, it's pleased so far, thought Alice. She was a little afraid, up in the tree, smiling at her. 
And then Alice said, uh, Would you tell me, please, which way I ought to go from here? And then the cat's just like, Well, that depends a good deal on where you want to get to, said the cat. Well, I don't much care where, said Alice. Then it doesn't matter which way you go, said the cat. <laughs> so long as I get somewhere, Alice added as an explanation. Oh, you're sure to do that, said the cat, if you only walk long enough. And I thought, as I'm reading this, is that not astronomy and cosmology today, secular science? Where do you want to go? I don't care. You'll get somewhere. If you keep looking far enough, you keep... But the ultimate sense of this is Alice wants direction. The cat doesn't give her any helpful direction. She doesn't know where to go, and he doesn't know where to tell her to go. And and so there they are, both of them. What's What's missing from this? Alice doesn't know where to go, and the cat isn't really helpful to that extent, right? He's not specific enough. She's she's new to this area. So she wants to know where to go, and she's he's like, well, where do you want to go? And Alice doesn't even know where she wants to go. <laughs> What's the purpose? It's like driving super fast in one direction. Well, why? Where, where are we headed? As a culture, as a people, as a, as a, a people on this planet who study the universe in which we live, what is the whole big point and picture of studying any of this? Yeah, and so, Dan, that's that's a question a lot of people have from the way science is taught to yeah. young people. Right. It leaves them kind of empty, and uh, it leaves you kind of with the idea that this universe is uh, big and harsh and purposeless. Yeah, that's the that's the that's the uh, Neil deGrasse Tyson, Carl Sagan. I've seen it in a number of popular cosmology books that I get and read through regularly. The universe doesn't care about us, we're told. It doesn't care about your feelings. Facts don't care about your feelings. But uh, that's not the picture from the Bible at all. No, no. And no. Uh, and from the Bible, it's, it's not that the universe is vast because it's made to be a habitat for all sorts of um, aliens all over the universe. Right. That's not really the purpose. It's really more... Of um, for God's glory, and it's for communicating to us uh, God's nature and His greatness. That's right, His magnanimity. His... So, so the, so we can see and get in a. It's sort of a tangible um, thing that gives us clues about the Creator, so that we will want to know this Creator. And yeah. uh, here we are. Uh, on this planet, and the universe is so vast, we've been able to explore space. We've been able to put a man on on the moon in 1969. We put men on the moon, and we brought them safely home. And uh, actually, God was not left out of that process, Dan. No. We talked about that with astronauts. Right, right. We talked about that with Charlie Duke and and other podcasts. So, And then, but it took more than that to get to the point where we could get this picture of a smiley face. So we're, you, I've been kind of thinking about this. We, we got past the accomplishment of getting a man on the moon. And then if we, if we keep growing and learning, maybe we can get to this, the stage of really enjoying this. Mm. I mean, 
here we are, we now found a smiling face in space. Well, you could say we made the smiley face because human beings draw smiley faces, right? We do right. this. And then we found something similar in space, so we make a big deal out about it. We enjoyed that. Well, this is part of what it is to be human. We, we enjoy what there is. And, and why are we this way? It's because of God's goodness that we're made this way in his image. And so right. we can we can uh, look at the universe, we can um, figure it out, and we can enjoy it. Yeah. There's a uh, quote from uh, old, uh, I'm dating myself here, Jack Kerouac, his novel On the Road. We got to go and never stop going till we get there. Where are we going, man? I don't know, but we got to go. <laughs> I think that's astronomy in the modern era myself. Where are we going? I don't know, but we got to go. Got to go find something. So, you know, I'm all about the quest. I'm all about looking for things. But Wayne, if the deepest purpose of of a billions of dollars in expensive telescope and satellite data is to say, hey, we found signatures of oxygen in a distant galaxy. Okay, now what? Well, maybe there's life. Okay, so more billions of dollars to send a uh, a telescope out to see if there's uh, some bacteria on a distant uh, distant world or more extrasolar planets around a, a star system. Okay, well, 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 then what? Well, maybe we can colonize these worlds. Okay, we we have trouble going to the moon. We did that successfully, but uh, uh, the next hopscotch to Mars doesn't look that promising. Um, how, we can't even build a biosphere here on Earth. And you want to colonize a planet that doesn't even have an atmosphere? Okay. Yeah. How's that going to work out? That's a challenge. That's a challenge. <laughs> so we're just going to build um, we're just going to build uh, space stations at Lagrange points. Okay, we can put telescopes at Lagrange points. Maybe we can put a space station at a Lagrange point. Okay, but there's no WalMarts at, at a Lagrange point that's a million miles away from Earth. What are you going to do when you run out of M and M's or water or food or you know your space boot rips? Yeah, what, you just stick to the problem of water. What, uh, what, Wayne? What you can continue to ask? Why, 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 why? And it, and at least you know. And I know there's curiosity, and I, I don't mean to diminish this, the, the the excitement that people have in studying these things. But great are the works of the Lord; they are studied by all who delight in them. Wayne, for the for the believer in Jesus, the the point is: what is the chief end of man? To glorify God and enjoy Him forever right. that's the first question of the westminster catechism and and so it's not just about blindly going through the the blackness of, of an empty void of space that wants to eat us for lunch um yeah the universe is deadly to us and charlie duke and i when we talked to the summer charlie was relating the story about his spacesuit you don't enjoy the lunar surface unless your spacesuit is is working and fitting. You don't have a spacesuit. You don't. You will die on the moon. And and we were talking about how this is related to Christ's righteousness, right? So if Charlie yeah. decided to unsuit on the lunar surface, he's going to live about thirty seconds, uh, maybe maybe not even that. But in order to enjoy God's presence, we have to be clothed in God's righteousness. A lot of people say, "Well, God is an angry God." Um, and uh, how can he go from the wrathful Old Testament God to the loving God of the uh, New Testament? No, God hasn't changed at all. It is us 
that God is 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 He's always been holy and lethal, and the universe reminds us of His of His uh, dangerous, holy and lethal glory. Right? We can't uh, the sun or the moon; it's lethal to us as human beings. But in order to enjoy it, Wayne, we have to be clothed in His righteousness. You take off the spacesuit; it's not the moon that changed; it's you. Right, so that's what sin has done to us. We've we've sinned in the presence of a holy God. We need to be clothed in Christ's righteousness and to enjoy the universe that God has made. Um, we do it for and to the glory of God. That's why the universe was created. It wasn't created for us. Yeah. So, um, as human beings, we really have a huge tendency to not grasp our own sin problem. Right. Our our sin problem is within us, and it's much worse than we think. <laughs> a lot worse it, than we think. There's a, yeah. there's a lot more to it than what we are aware of. That's and, right. And um, how do you how do you solve such a pervasive problem? Well, God did solved it by Christ's death and resurrection for us, so that we can have a way to know Him. Mm-hmm. And it's it's because of what he did that gives us that ability to have a righteousness that's not our own, and that's the that's like having the spacesuit that uh, is our solution, our our protection in mm-hmm. a sense. But you know, when Charlie Duke was talking about him and uh, John Young, I think it was that was um, they were talking about having a little. Uh, Olympic contest on the moon. Yeah, lunar Olympics. And <laughs> jumping, jumping around. And right. Then Not a good idea. Charlie Duke falls falls over backwards. Right. I thought that that was my favorite thing you were talking yeah. about. And, NASA quickly canceled that the lunar Olympics. Yeah. So <laughs> you got, and uh, and I like to he, they're him telling about the lunar rover and where they went and stuff. Uh, it's uh, it's just so interesting and. We can uh, we can enjoy exploration. We can enjoy the beauty, and so you know the universe is not just uh, facts and figures. Mm. And, and the fact that we can enjoy it, and we can appreciate it, and we can live, <laughs> uh, you know, it goes back to some things we talked about a lot in the early time, first several podcasts, Dan. That mm-hmm. we did. We talked. We had several podcasts talking about the fine tuning of the universe, and this, this, this is it, properties of of the fundamental forces and the uh, parameters in the in the atom, and how it's uh, well suited for life. There's just so many things that we take for granted. And Wayne, yeah, why is a raven like a writing desk? Like a writing desk? I don't know, Dan. Tell me. <laughs> Do you know where that question comes from? No. Alice in Wonderland. Oh, it does? Uh-huh. I, I, I'm not familiar enough with Alice in Wonderland. Oh, I'm sorry I pulled that one on you, but the Mad Hatter asked that question. And uh, when it was written, when it was published in 1865, uh, a lot of people were speculating about what the answer is because the Mad Hatter never gives you an answer. Oh. So Lewis Carroll got pressed and pressed and pressed to uh, 
to answer the riddle that he made. And um, if you listen to the end of this broadcast, you will not find the answer either because I'm not going to tell you. <laughs> You'll have to go look at him, looking for the answer yourselves. Um, he did give an answer um, when he did the uh, 1896 edition of Alice in Wonderland. He put an in, he put an answer in there. So go find that. It's kind of silly. <laughs> but I say that I, I interrupted your your serious thought to say that 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 this is the kind of enjoyment. If you read Lewis Carroll with childlike eyes, if you read the Gospels with childlike eyes, there is a delight and a wonder that you can have that comes from God. He gives you the ability to delight in what he does. You know, the Lord in Psalm 37, uh, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Oh, no, this is Proverbs. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him. And unlike the Cheshire cat, he will direct your paths uh, for his glory. And then, um, you know, wait patiently for the Lord. He will give you the desires of your heart. Psalm 37, 4. Now, that doesn't mean that God's going to give you everything that you... Uh, you ask for necessarily, but the deep down desires of your heart, he knows the best and he will fill them in his time and his way. And you will delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. When you delight in the Lord, you delight, you can delight in creation. It it means something. It's meaningful. You are here for a reason. Uh, the universe is, is not a living thing. So you know it doesn't care about you, but God does. The one who made it can can tailor it to 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 specifically the joys and the delights that he knows that that each one of us have and that creation is a, a bountiful manifold magnanimous um, a gift of God uh, for us to enjoy and um, I think that the Cheshire Cat grin to me is an example of, an example of um, like you said earlier this we are we are sub creators we like to create we like to make things we like to explore. Because we are made in the image of God. But if you don't know that, if you don't know God and you don't know that you're made in the image of God, uh, we have to sort of make up stuff about the universe, which is deeply troubling to me, I think, that if, if I didn't know Jesus and didn't know God, I would have to look up at the stars every night and come up with something. That And, and, and how can I make up something about this entity we call the universe that has preexisted me and has been around forever for a long time, and it will be around for a long time, long after many of us are gone. How can I just make stuff up about this thing? It it has to. It's so beautiful and so wonderful and so regular. We can describe it with mathematics. How can I just make something up about this? It it, it, it you know, and some some like cosmologists like uh, have said, well, the universe is it just is. Bertrand Russell said, oh, the universe just is, and Sean Carroll, who's a cosmologist. Uh, here in the 21st century, the universe is just sort of a brute fact. It just is. We should stop asking the why questions. Why is it here? We'll stop asking that question because my mathematics can't answer it. Um, but um, right, it's it's. See, this is showing the the limits of science and math, and it's right. Showing, we have to. We need to leap beyond that and say right that someone created it. So I wanted you to. Uh, wrap up here because we got to get i got to get going my uh my bedtime's coming up we we're doing this podcast in the evening and uh the older i get the more sleepier i get what about you (laughs) uh 
It depends oh. on on my day, I would say. Yeah, yeah, me but, too. But uh, I was going to read from Psalm 8. Yes, that's a great way to wrap up here. And by the way, speaking of moons, we did mention moon. What you're about to read was a verse of scripture in part that went to the moon. Um, this was in the pocket of Buzz Aldrin's lunar suit. Because you couldn't, at the first lunar mission, they were so weight restricted that they couldn't take a Bible. So Buzz wrote down some scripture. He was a good Presbyterian back then. I don't know where he is now today, biblically or Christian-wise. But back then, when he was on the moon, he actually took communion in the lunar lander and um, and had this Bible verse, and there was a couple others from John he had. But what you're about to read was taken to the surface of the moon. First, one of the first Bible passages read on the surface of another world. So, Wayne? Right. So, this is Psalm 8. Uh, I'm going to read the first uh, five verses. So, uh, this is the NIV. Uh, o Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. From the lips of children and infants, you have ordained praise. Because of your enemies, to silence the foe and the avenger. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him, the son of man that you care for him? You made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. So, Dan, this is, that's really, uh, it has a very positive view of what it means to be human. Mm-hmm. What it means to be—we are in His image. We're made to discover and learn, and we are in a universe that was created for a purpose, for our benefit. And it—it's um, not just an empty, harsh, meaningless universe that came about by chance. That's right. That's right. Well, Wayne, we've had a wonderfully smashing good time talking about. The most curiouser and curiouser group of galaxies that are out there. And uh, to me, I think it's just one little indication that if we keep poking around with our big fancy telescopes, we're going to run into more wonderful strangeness like the Cheshire Cat Group. Yes, and... uh... So we can keep learning about science, but we can also keep uh, developing our imagination. Yes. And that is a very excellent point, Wayne, that we can talk about. Maybe another podcast coming out of that, uh, science uh, and the imagination. How does the imagination play a role in our understanding of the universe? How about that? Yeah. Sounds like an episode, doesn't it? It does. Maybe, maybe. Maybe, maybe. We'll see. But... um, we had a great uh, a great chat, um, and uh, appreciate the time as always. And thank you, our listeners, for being faithful. We are here at Good Heavens, going on our sixth year of production here in 2023. Coming up, uh, we every September is our uh, anniversary month, and so thank you to everyone who has supported us uh, as we have uh, a lot of fun episodes, a lot of good back episodes. If you're new to Good Heavens, a lot of good back episodes to to catch up on. Um, we were a little well. I was a little sillier back then when we started with our introductions. <laughs> we had uh, you remember Wayne? We were going to call this podcast "All That Gas," but uh, uh, yeah, I never really liked that title. I, I didn't. Uh, 
didn't uh i wasn't wasn't too keen on where that might go and uh i adopted a fake english accent for the first few episodes where i said uh, good heavens a podcast about the universe with wayne and dan yeah i kind of um, like that though uh, that was fun and then it just uh <laughs> we've we, we, you know not a whole lot has changed but we've 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 i think uh, hopefully our content is still good but uh we do try to focus on every topic and since this is jesus's universe we do try to break it down to scripture and christ and how this fits in and then we allow you the listener to have your own imaginative thoughts but as long as you're thinking in terms of uh doing all for the glory of god first corinthians 10 31 um, we all fall short of the glory of god but that doesn't mean we can still strive as paul did forgetting what is behind and looking forward and pressing on uh to to uh glorify god and enjoy him forever by his grace and through his mercy we can do that so that's what we do at good heavens we try to bring everything back to to jesus and in, in some way and yes uh, so, and uh over the months and years that we've done this the podcast has made its way out to more and more platforms yeah and and uh to a, a lot of different nations around the world and we don't have like a big uh a number of listeners uh in every country out there uh britain uh britain and uh canada are some of the biggest australia is pretty good but uh i remember finding out during the pandemic that there were people in ukraine listening to our podcast yeah it's interesting but there's also some in other nations like india and uh a lot of nations, sometimes not very many, but people are finding us. Yeah, so we're uh, we're um, we're out there, and hopefully the Lord will allow us to keep going. And um, we appreciate all you, our listeners, our listening family, the Good Heavens Galaxy, uh, Good Heavens uh, Universe, Good Heavens Family. Thank you for uh, faithfully being a part. Absolutely. And uh, yeah. go to patreon.com slash goodheavens if you'd like to be a monthly supporter. All of it goes to right now. We're, we don't bring in enough, maybe for some gas, but uh, all of it does go to support uh, what I'm doing at Watchmen uh, right now at Watchmen.org. So uh, every donation is helpful uh, to me. And uh, Wayne is running uh, our podcast with a little different name on Podbean called uh, "Good Heavens: The Human Side of Astronomy," and uh, that's on Podbean. And uh, Wayne is. Uh, we pay for both of the platforms, and so that that does help. So if you'd like to make a donation, go see uh, Wayne on Podbean. It's the same broadcast, just two different platforms, and Wayne's running that so we could be on um, the bigger platforms like Apple Podcasts and Amazon and all those. And then Patreon is where we started, and I've never moved, but um, you can make a donation on Patreon, and we don't ask for money, and we don't have, um, you know, we're, this is all free. There's We don't have any... Um, uh, if you are, if you do become a patron, though, I will tell you this: if you do become a patron, the one perk that you get is that you get uh, podcast releases early. Uh, so if you listen to us on Patreon and you are a Patreon subscriber, you get um, you get early releases, and then a week later, about a week later, they appear on Wayne puts them out on Podbean, and they go out uh, to the general public. So if you are a Patreon subscriber, you get this early; you get them a week early. Um, but, um, you know, it's, it's, you just join for a dollar and then you get the early releases. Um, but, um, we're not in it for the money. We're in it because we love to talk about this and, um, but do visit us at patreon.com slash good heavens or Podomat, was it Podbean? 
uh, good heavens as well. Yeah, Podbean, and uh, there is a YouTube channel that Dan does. You can look up Daniel Ray on YouTube. Yeah, it's kind of a – I'm not a huge video guy, but it is uh, – my YouTube channel, I consider it like a video sketchbook. I got some book uh, videos on the story of the cosmos, a lot of stuff what I do at Watchmen, some stuff on Mormonism, but a lot of stuff on the cosmos. Just various interests. My interview with yeah. So the YouTube channel is more than what we do on. It is. It's kind of bonus material. Uh, The interview with Charlie Duke is on video on my YouTube channel. I interviewed Carl Sagan's daughter a couple of years ago, Sasha. That's on the YouTube channel. Uh, Lots of other things that I do at Watchmen. Um, Do check that out. And uh, thanks for that plug, Wayne. And um, I guess this is the time, Wayne, where I say we'll see you next time right here on. Good heavens. Good heavens. For by him all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things have been created by him and for him. See to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deception, according to the tradition of men, according to the elementary principles of the world, rather than according to Christ. Good Heavens is recorded and produced by Watchman Fellowship Incorporated. For more information about our podcast and ministry, including having our staff speak at your church, visit watchman.org. That's watchman.org. For Watchman Fellowship, I'm Annie Smiths.